Hi there. We're excited to have you join us and that you're able to listen to this resource from Grace Presbyterian Church, Christchurch. We hope that it will be a blessing to you in your walk with the Lord. Please let us know how this sermon encourages you in your faith. We'd love to connect with you and worship with you on Sundays at 10am. Please find more information about us online or in the link in our bio. Hello, there we go. We hear sound. <laughs> All right. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Nathan. I'm one of the elders uh, here, if I haven't met you. Uh, and it's my uh, privilege and pleasure to be opening God's Word uh, for you this morning. Uh, we're going to be reading in Matthew 13, uh, verses 44 and 46. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Let's just pray before we get in. God, we thank you that you are our king. Lord, as we are singing songs and and worshipping you this morning, that you have been anointed. Jesus, you are anointed as king uh, over all, over the world, over our lives. Father, we praise you for that this morning. Lord, we thank you that you've given us your word. Lord, that you speak to us through it, through your spirit. And Father, we ask that you would do that this morning in our lives, Lord, that you would be revealing more of your truth to us, Lord, that you are our King, Lord, and your kingship is truly valuable. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So we are uh, finishing up our summer series, uh, thankfully summer's not quite over, but uh, for the last few weeks we've been working through a series called Pointed Parables. Uh, This is a series where we have looked at um, some well-known but often misunderstood parables. And this morning we will be in Matthew 13, which I've just read, a chapter uh, where Jesus tells eight parables uh, explaining the kingdom of heaven. And we're looking at two of these parables this morning, the parable of the hidden treasure and the parable of the pearl of great value. Now, just to give a bit of context uh, to these parables uh, that we're looking at this morning, the whole chapter of Matthew 13 uh, is structured in a way where it forms kind of a pattern, uh, what's called a chiasmus. Uh, It's where ideas or sequences of events get repeated in reverse order. The first four parables of the chapter, Jesus is teaching a large crowd of people. We see the parable of the sower, the parable of the weeds, the parable of the mustard seed, and the parable of leaven. And then the final four parables of the chapter, Jesus is just teaching his disciples. We have the parable of the hidden treasure and the parable of the pearl, the parable of the net, and the parable of new and old treasure. And all of these parables teach us different things about the kingdom of heaven. The previous two parables in Matthew 13 to the ones we're looking at today 
They mirror these parables. And the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of leaven teach about what the kingdom looks like. It may seem uh, small and insignificant, like a mustard seed, or you may not fully see it like yeast, but it will continue to grow and change hearts and lives. And then these two parables, which we're looking at today, teach not what the kingdom looks like, but its value. So my main point for this morning is that the kingdom of heaven is worth more than anything this world can offer. So as we unpack this parable, I hope that we will see three things about the kingdom. Firstly, the kingdom of heaven is plain to see, but easy to miss. Secondly, the kingdom of heaven is costly. Third, the kingdom of heaven brings great joy. Firstly, the kingdom of heaven is plain to see, but easy to miss. In 1992, there was a man named Eric Laws, and he was helping his friend look for a lost hammer with a metal detector in farmland in Suffolk in England. After searching a while, they came across something that was much better than just a lost hammer. They found almost 15,000 gold and silver coins, 200 pieces of jewellery, and other ornaments belonging to a Roman family from around 400 AD. Now this was one of the largest finds in the UK, and it brought the two men a finder's fee of 3.5 million New Zealand dollars. Now this isn't something that you hear about every day, and certainly not uh, in New Zealand. Um, But in these parables we see something similar here in the first parable. A man stumbles upon treasure which has been hidden in a field. Now this was not unheard of back in Jesus' time. Um, There were no banks back then, so people would often have to hide their treasure in clay pots underground. Uh, especially if there was threat of invading armies or they wanted to protect it from thieves. And then if the owner didn't come back and retrieve it, the treasure would remain there until someone found it. Here, the man, presumably a day labourer or someone out working in a field, uh, is digging and he comes across this treasure, someone's life savings which they've hidden. In contrast, in the second parable, Uh, We see a man who is on a search. He's looking for the best pearl. Again, this was a fairly common occurrence back then when merchants would scour the markets looking for the best of what was on offer, which they could then sell off for a profit later. He's going around the market and he sees this pearl standing out from all the other pearls on display. This pearl of great value. He has found it when no one else has seen it. In both of these parables, the outcome is the same. They sell all that they have and buy what they have found, but the means of finding it are different. One man stumbles across this great treasure almost on accident, while the other has been searching diligently for it. Here, Jesus is describing different ways of people coming to find the kingdom of heaven. And he is describing the kingdom, the treasure of the kingdom, as something that is plain to see, 
but easy to miss. See, in the first story, the treasure was hidden in a wide open field. Anyone could have come across it. But only the man who found the treasure saw the true value of that field. To everyone else, it was just a piece of land. But to the man, it was worth everything he had. And in the second story, this pearl of great value was on display for everyone to see. Many people would have walked past it and not fully appreciated how valuable this one pearl truly was, more than all other pearls on display. On the surface, both seem plain, just a field or just another pearl amongst hundreds of others. But if you have eyes to see, it's treasure. So this leads us to the question, what is the kingdom of heaven? The kingdom of heaven is the rule and reign of Jesus as king, both within us as Christians and over the whole earth as sovereign king. This is the good news of the gospel, that through Jesus, God is saving a people for himself and renewing the world for his people. Through saving us, he is redeeming us, and setting himself as king over our lives, triumphing over sin and death, and gathering us as his chosen people, his royal citizens, in his kingdom, where one day Christ will return and complete his reign by establishing a new heavens and a new earth, where he will be king with his people forever. This is the truth of the gospel. The treasure of the kingdom of heaven, which God has made plain to us in the scriptures, but which is so often overlooked or misunderstood. Jesus is the treasure of the kingdom of heaven. He says, Jesus says to the Jewish leaders in John 5, uh, verses 39 to 40, he says, you search the scriptures Because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I was raised in a Christian family and I went to church uh, all my life. But it wasn't until my first year of uni, when I was about 19 years old, that I first heard any of the teachings of Reformed theology. And I remember thinking when I first heard about Calvinism and, and specifically predestination, I thought, man, this can't be right. Like, it's definitely not in the Bible. And I asked one of the American, I was quite arrogant about that at the time, and I asked one of the American CCP team, uh, one of the guys who was uh, doing some Bible studies with me, and I asked him to show me in the Bible where it teaches us. And then he came back and he had about eight passages in the Bible where it clearly talks about election and God's sovereign plan of redemption. And I remember feeling like my eyes had been opened for the first time. I couldn't believe that I had been reading my Bible since I was little, uh, but I'd never 
uh, seen or really understood uh, these passages. Now, while I missed a deep truth about God's nature and plan, the Pharisees here missed the entire point of the Bible, that it's all about Jesus. In verse 10 of Matthew 13, Uh, Earlier on in Matthew 13, the disciples ask Jesus why he speaks to the crowds in parables. And Jesus replies to them, he says, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom, but to them it has not been given. Now Jared unpacked this for us a few weeks ago uh, when he preached on the parable of the sower from Mark 4. It is only when we have a genuine faith in Jesus a hope and trust in his death and resurrection, and a submission to him as king over our lives, that we can have a true understanding of what Jesus is teaching in these parables. If God doesn't work in our lives, revealing himself to us through his word, we are blind to the truth of who he is and the immeasurable treasure of the good news of the gospel. We will simply be digging a few metres away from instant wealth and not even know it. But if God has worked in our life and he has opened our eyes to the beauty of who he is, we should be seeking it as if seeking treasure. In Proverbs 2 uh, verses 4 to 6, talking about wisdom, it says, If you seek it like silver and search for it as as for hidden treasures, Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. And in Psalm 119, verse 162, it says, I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. Before I move on to the next point, I have just a couple of questions. Firstly, have your eyes been opened to the treasure that is the good news of the gospel? Do you read the Bible or hear the Bible being preached and just think it's not relevant for today or it's just a bunch of confusing rules or stories? Don't miss out on the good news of who Jesus is, your creator and saviour and what he has done for you. Pray that God would open your eyes to the truth of who he is. If you are a Christian and you do believe that God has Uh, worked in your hearts? Do you delight in the word of God like finding treasure? Maybe you stumbled upon the treasure like a man in the field, or maybe it was a long and diligent search trying to find the truth like the pearl merchant. Either way, do you truly value what Jesus has done for you, and do you delight in reading his word and spending time with him? Second thing I want us to see from these parables, the kingdom of heaven is costly. Let's look at the reactions of both men uh, in the parable who found their treasure. Verse 44, it says, the man, uh, sorry, verse 44, it says, then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. In verse 46, about the pearl merchant said, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. 
Both men considered what they had found to be of such great value that they went and sold all of their possessions, everything they owned, so that they could have what they found. I think it's important here to mention uh, what these verses aren't teaching. They're not saying that it's possible to buy the kingdom of heaven. But what they are saying is that the kingdom is of such immeasurable value that it's worth all that we have. Even if we could buy it, no price would be too excessive. It costs all that we have. This is what it means to live under the kingship of God. We are to lay down all that we have, surrendering everything to him and submitting to his rule and reign in our life. Matthew 16, 24 and 25, Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Following Jesus is costly. Last week, Josh talked about how we are to be kingdom-minded with how we use our money, using our earthly wealth to create eternal friendships. Now, this is a literal way in which following Jesus can be costly. It can cost us with how we use our money. It can also cost us in other ways. It can cost us our time and desires. We're no longer free to do whatever we want whenever we want. It can cost us friendships if we choose to live differently. It can cost us jobs if we refuse to do something asked of us that goes against God's word. In other parts of the world, following Jesus could even cost us our freedom or our life. Jesus was very upfront and honest with the cost of following him. He didn't sugarcoat it. He warns his disciples a few chapters earlier in Matthew 10, verse 22, he says, And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. This is what Jesus means when he says we need to count the cost of being his disciple. But he is also saying in this parable that what we get in return, the kingdom of heaven, communion, relationship with him, is worth far more than anything we have in this life. Every career, relationship, investment in this life will let us down. But God's love and care over our lives is the only solid, uncomplicated, dedicated thing we will ever encounter. This is worth grasping, even when it costs us everything. There's a basic um, economic principle to work out the value of an item. It says the value of an item is equal to the maximum price someone is willing to pay for the item. And when our eyes are truly open to the beauty of the kingdom of heaven, the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done and what he offers us, there is no cost too high to pay. 
And this is what Jesus is teaching here in this parable. He is highlighting the great, immeasurable value of the kingdom of heaven. And we see this in the life of Paul, uh, when he experiences the resurrected Christ. And he can say in his letter to the Philippians, Philippians 3.8, he says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He says, For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Again, I have just a couple of questions. Can you say with Paul that you count everything as loss for the worth of knowing Jesus? Have you sold all that you have, given up your lives, your desires, and surrendered all to Jesus, your King? Or are you trying to hold on to some control over your lives? Is there some sin that you're unwilling to give up? Are you trying to find worth and value in the things of this world, jobs, income, relationships? If you are, I want to encourage you that God offers something which is far greater than anything this world can offer. The cost is high, but the return is far greater. And this brings me to my final point. The kingdom of heaven brings great joy. Matthew 13 and verse 44 says, In his joy he goes and sells all that he has. The man who found this treasure didn't think twice about how much it would cost him. The value of the treasure to him was so great that he joyfully gave up all that he had so he could get it. If you have ever read or heard anything from John Piper, you most likely heard of his favorite topic, uh, Christian hedonism, and his famous quote that God is most glorified in us probably repeat it, when we are most satisfied in him. Piper states that Christian hedonism is the pursuit of maximum joy in God. Joy both in quality and quantity, fullness of joy and joy forevermore are found only in him. This comes from Psalm 1611. It says, In your presence there is fullness of joy, at your right hands are pleasure forevermore. When we have a true relationship with God, we experience the joy that He gives. A joy that is better than any pleasures that we can find in this world. And a joy that would motivate us to sell all that we have, to count all things as loss, and to do all that we can to obtain the treasure of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus speaks of the joy we can have with the Father in a later parable he told to his disciples in Matthew 25. The parable of the talents, um, he is talking about servants being faithful with what the master has given them. In verse 21 he says, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. And what is their reward? He says, Enter into the joy of your master. 
when we see and understand the beauty, the value of the kingdom of heaven, the truth of the gospel of what Jesus has done and is doing, it is a joy to submit our lives to him as king. And we can also look forward to the day where we are welcomed into the presence of our master, to the full and complete joy that is only found in him, which we will experience and enjoy forever. Jesus, he was also motivated by this joy. Hebrews 12, verse 2, it says, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. In joy and for joy, Jesus gave up all that he had and suffered for our sake. 2 Corinthians 8 9 says, Though he was rich, talking about Jesus, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Jesus gave up the riches of heaven and became poor. He went from the glory of heaven to the shame, the suffering on earth. And Hebrews tells us that he did this out of joy, a joy that he knew would be his. Unlike the men in the parable who found the treasure and the pearl of great value, Jesus gave up all that he had for a people who despised and rejected him. Romans 5 tells us that God reconciled us back through the death of Jesus while we were his enemies. We had nothing of value that we could offer God. He doesn't need anything from us. It is only because of his great love and mercy for his glory he sent Jesus who willingly joyfully gave up all that he had to purchase us with his blood, to reconcile us back to God and to reign as our king, redeeming, healing, and sanctifying us so we can experience his joy for all eternity. I just want to finish this morning by reading out Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. Let it encourage us that we should look to Jesus as an example. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder, perfecter of our faith, who for the joy 
that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we, Lord, are a sinful people. Lord, that we so often looking to the things of this world uh, for our joy, for our value. Lord, we're so quick to try and uh, control our lives and, and to find things that we know are not good for us. Lord, we ask that you would you would convict us in our lives, Lord, this morning. Lord, you would show us the areas that we are not submitting to you. Father, we praise you for your son, Jesus. We thank you that he came, he gave all that he had for us, that we can now come and experience joy with you forever. Thank you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.